to you live from fuck if I know. I don't even know where we are. It's dark here and there are soft things to sit on. That's all I got. It is the Ditch Diggers episode 21 season 7. And ain't no wannabes here With some not so nice advice For your writing career To be clear No punches will be pulled But the punch may be spiked How they like before they get on the mic To my left we got the mighty Mer Lafferty And if I piss her off Believe me she'll come after me And her co-host Matt Evan Wallace On the right Yes she may be half as hype But she can take him in a fight So settle in folks Buckle in and boot up Time to meddle in a way To make your writer shut up It's hard work But the perk is that It's fun and exciting Facebook will still be there When you're done writing Ditch diggers Matt Wallace is back with us, and we welcome, welcome the godmother of Ditch Diggers herself, Gail Carriger. Hi, everybody. Glad, glad to see you guys. Oh, so excited to have Gail back with us. Unfortunately, we are, we are all on a tight time schedule, so that's why the video is not looking awesome. But I, I would have done more work on it, but then, you know, we, like, we got stuff to do. So we figured we would let you guys look at the less than perfect video and you know have a little more time a little more time mer i think the video looks fucking amazing can i just say that i I I say how good i think the video looks (laughs) and i think everybody who is watching thinks the video looks amazing everybody talk about how amazing the video looks (laughs) i i i I, I appreciate that. Over this. We were sitting in the green room. Mm-hmm. Where it was literally hand trimming pixels to try to make things pretty for all of you. And I just think you need to know the blood and sweat that goes on behind the scenes here. Yeah. And what Murr does to try to make all of this what it is. And I just want to acknowledge that. Yes. It's important to me. I'm going to put a chat thing in there. Look at that. There we go. Chat. Haha. And magic. Okay. Um, so what was really cool was a couple of weeks ago, Matt and I were talking about future shows, and uh, actually it was one of you who, who asked it. You Somebody asked what happens to the projects that don't sell, because with non-published writers, it's like, okay, I'll just work on the next thing and hope that sells. But for professionals, we kind of work on things with the assumption that it's going to get us some money. That's why we sell books on spec after we sell our first book. And not sell books on spec. The opposite of that. We want to write the book after we get the contract. And uh, what was very cool was after all of this, uh, Gail sent me an email saying, I want to come on and talk about stuff that didn't sell. <laughs> and I thought, well, cool. Yeah, please do that. I'm tr- yeah, I, now just, the ch- I just think this is such an interesting topic. And I've just never heard... It's kind of negative, but I've never heard any of the like you know many writing businessy podcasts that I listen to talking about like what it's like um and you know under what circumstances it happens but i know a ton of authors have this happen to them Mm -hmm. you know the next book in a series doesn't sell or doesn't get picked up or the the new series you want to pitch out doesn't get picked up and i've been through it many many times and with various different like versions of it you Mm -hmm. know um, so we should say for anybody who's like newer to the cast that on spec means you write a proposal for fiction and generally speaking for newer authors, especially like you have to have written the entire book because part of selling the book 
is proof that you can finish a book because so many authors can't finish a book yeah. and many established authors can't finish a book. <laughs> Let's name names. Get the mimosas. We'll do it. Um, so yeah, so on spec means you've, you're at a point in your career where essentially you've proved yourself as a fiction writer and they know you can finish the thing. So you can then start selling it um, just, just on proposal. Now, like some on spec is different for different houses and in different ways. So like when I transitioned between a, writing for adults and writing for young adult, and I don't know if Matt, you had this or not, we had to write, um, I had to write quite a bit of the book, even though it was an on spec proposal to prove that I could write a different genre. So I had to write like almost half in my case, because even though they they wanted YA specifically from me, they weren't sure I could do it. So I had to like prove I had the chops to write that age bracket. Is that what they made you do too, man? Yeah, no, it's just, uh, I'm laughing because like, I'm kind of still going through that, honestly. Like I've done, uh, two middle grade books. Now you're really gonna peek me out the curtain. Fuck it. Like so, I've done two middle grade books now. One came out in January. The next one comes out this January. Oh hey, it's right here. Look at that. That's I was the, gonna grab it behind me. <laughs> oh yeah, you got that's, it. That's coming out in January. Wait, With, say it. Say it for the podcast. Oh yeah. Me. So it's the uh, it's the supervillain's guide to being a fat kid. It's the most important to me book I've ever written. I will put that out. I'm very proud of it and very excited about it. And yeah, pre pre order will be on the show notes. Yes, please do pre-order. It's very important because there's no paper. That's there's no paper. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. Order so like, your print books now. <laughs> and it has an adorable cover, everybody, so you want to own it. The cover is amazing. Catherine Hardo, amazing artist. She did the cover of Bump, my first middle grade. Anyway, so yeah, no, I had to write a significant amount when I, when I initially uh, proposed to them. And despite doing – and my publisher is, is lovely. They're lovely people. They're doing a great job. I love working with them. But, like, I just – so I, I did a two-book contract with them. They like me. They want to keep working with me. So, like, what else you got? I wrote up a new proposal for another book and sent it in. And they're like, we really love the proposal. Could you do some more – could you do sample chapters of it, though, so we have those as well? And I'm like, but I already did – I did two books. You know I can do this. Like, you know I can do that. And my editor's like, I know, man, but just like, I want to have the ammunition to take to the acquisition team to really sell this thing. You know, it's like... So on the one hand, I mean, I you know, I did it. Just whatever. Like, I want to... I, I feel want. better if it was ammunition for a bidding war. Like, let's be yeah. honest here. Yeah. That, would, yeah. that would make me feel better as well. But just like, it's just, it's difficult. You do, you do feel like you're constantly having to prove ah. and reprove yourself. And it's it can be, it can be emotionally taxing on the, in that day. Yeah. And that, and that's, so like, that's kind of part of this. So one of the, the, let's get into the nitty gritty right away. Then we don't have that much time, but like one of mine was this exact experience. So I, so when authors write to contract as a general rule, we have something called an option clause, which is that the publisher has the right to option the next thing that we write, um, under, under specific circumstances. So depending on your contract, so both of my, after I finished the series is for my adult house and for my young adult house, the ones that were under contract, I had open option clauses with both houses, which meant if I wrote anything that was specific to them, I had to offer it to them if I had a, or if I had a proposal or a, an idea for a new series, basically, I would have to offer it to them. And I wasn't particularly interested in doing a lot more with my adult house. I kind of was, I was done with series in that universe and in the adult work sphere in general, but I did have some ideas for stuff for young adult. 
Um, <clears throat> and I still have my same editor there. I hadn't been orphaned or anything. So she's, and she's somebody I really like working with. So I was like, okay. So I came up with a couple of options and we talked about it. My agent and I talked about which ones we thought would be kind of more commercially viable and that the house would be interested in so that I could save time and not have to work on multiples <clears throat> to pitch for. And then uh, we, came, we settled on one, pitched it. My editor was very, very interested in it, which meant it got sent over to acquisitions, which is essentially part of the marketing team, which is when the editor is essentially your project manager. So what they're gonna do at your publishing house is like advocate for the book and the acquisitions process is the process where they have to ad advocate the most because they're trying to convince the publisher to spend money to acquire you. Yeah. Um, and so they, they'll take the book proposal to the publisher usually, and then usually a rep from the marketing team, publicity sometimes, sometimes a couple of other people. So there's like a little group meeting about your book. And they're going to try and decide, you know, whether they want to spend the money on it. Uh, and at that juncture... The marketing team actually weighs it pretty heavily because they're the ones that actually have to sell the thing. And so they're going to like, and they know presumably the market or they try to predict the market in two years when, the, <laughs> when it'll be done. Which is um, great because, you know, we'll know where the pandemic is in two years. Yeah, everybody knows what's happening in two years. Yeah. And in my particular case, it was the marketing team that were like, yeah, we don't. My editor was really excited about the project marketing team was like, yeah, we don't think this is going to sell. And so even though I was pretty much all the way through contract negotiations and everything, it got kicked out at the 11th hour. Oh, my and God. And that's just and that is just an example of what can happen under these circumstances where like when we're talking about like being an established career author and trying to sell and like, you know, for per perspective, my my first young adult series with this house was a New York Times bestseller. It did really well. It earned out, even though it had a large advance. Like they, it was a successful four book series, um, and still, like there, they were like, "Yeah, we we you front list for us, but we're still not gonna risk the money." And part of that is I'm more expensive because I was successful in the past, so they know I'm not gonna take a low ball offer on a new series. So they really have to be careful about their money under those circumstances. But, you know, so that's, that is an example of where, um, you know, you get in most of the way through the process and it still gets rejected in the 11th hour. And I just love that because it's, it's a high level example. And I think a lot of people think when you get to the point and when you hopefully get to the point in the career that you're talking about, you're like things suddenly get very easy for you, right? Like everything is just a given. You write yeah. a book, they publish the book, they give you a bunch of money, rinse and repeat forever because, you know, you reach that, bestseller status and that's just not how anything works at all it really you know, isn't but, yeah. which is not to say if i went up with something that was a somewhat similar carbon copy to my previous series in either house they would probably be interested in it because what they do like is proof that you know like something has sell, sold in the past if we can like repeat that model they'll be all over it it's just me who's like yeah i did that already i don't right. want to write more in the previous series or a, just a mock-up of the previous series. Um, so part of it is I want to challenge myself and explore different avenues. And there may be like, yeah, but that's not a guaranteed sell. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's a, it's just, you know, I, I, I would like to think most authors want to do that. They want to keep doing different things and exploring different stories and, one of the curses of that kind of success is you can get locked in doing the same thing over and over again. And if you acquiesce to that, 
you know, you find 10 years has gone by and you're writing the exact same story over and over again, which sounds like hell to me, frankly. I'm not sure it's worth the trade-off. But, here's but a, you know. Well, here's a question. Ahead. I know this I, This is going to make me sound like an asshole, but you know, after the week I've had, I don't care. Um, sound like an asshole, Murph. Sound like an asshole. This is that podcast. You know how much we love Eddie Murphy's music? <laughs> no. My girl likes to party all the time, party all the time, party all the time. I didn't sing it. Can't DMCA me. Okay. <laughs> but, I mean, I've been thinking about those. It's like Steve Martin and his banjo, Eddie Murphy and his rock, pop, whatever the hell that was. And how they really, and I know it's different because we just want to tell different kinds of stories and why they went into completely different areas of, you know, what they were doing. Michael Jordan and baseball. I mean, it's like, that's what I worry about. If I try mm. to stretch my wings, I'm just going to be like, no, I'm not going to talk anything about six weeks. We're going to talk about my girl likes to party all the time. That That's the new exciting thing for me. No, I was just it, it, like, it, but it happens all the time with authors. Like, yeah. And, and, and I mean, here's a similar example. Like I have a podcast, which is about travel, where I don't really talk about books all that often and i just do that because it's fun it kind of has nothing to do with the being the author side of my personality right and uh and it's not popular and i'm never going to make money on it or anything like that but i just really enjoy doing it and i feel like with people like martin or or what have you that that that's kind of what they're doing is like i don't think i would like to hope that they don't actually believe they're that good and are going to make that much money <laughs> at it. I, yeah, I don't know anybody's like, going to make that much money doing banjo Right. Yeah, exactly. So like he's sitting on a pile of money. He doesn't need to do it. He's at the point of his life where he gets to do whatever the hell. I mean, I feel like that's what people complain to me about, like George R. R. Martin or what have you. I'm like, yeah, he doesn't need to write the next book. Yeah, he doesn't want to. He just doesn't straight up need to like <laughs> period and a discussion like he doesn't if he doesn't want to, he doesn't have to because he, he's fine. <laughs> right. Presumably. Presumably. Um, Presumably, but but like that's so that's that does come into play as well with but but I also yeah I mean this is a trap that whether you're indie or traditional like as a creative we have to think about like d there's do you want to keep producing the thing that you know will sell but it's perhaps not as inspiring as the other ooh shiny that you're looking at. And like, that's just a career risk you're gonna take, whether you're a writing to market indie author producing at a rapid pace, you know, for KU or whatever, or whether you're you're traditionally published and you, your publisher wants you to <laughs> to write more of the thing that's old, so. Um, right, well, you know, the other, the other side of that coin is uh, kind of where I'm at right now is like, I haven't had a book that's a really big seller yet. So I've been trying a bunch of different genres, very different genres. Very different. You know, going from adult fantasy, epic fantasy, to middle grade, you know, to whatever the hell you want to call the novellas I did before. And I kind of worry about, you know, I and one, I, I go through spurs where it's like, it's good that I'm diversifying. It's good that I'm trying different things. It's good that I'm in different markets, you know. From a business standpoint, it, it elevates the chance that one of these things will hit, right? At the same time, on the other side of the coin, I worry, it's like, am I, by not focusing on building myself up in one space, am I spreading myself, you know, too thin, or am I kind of like just throwing things at the wall and hoping something will stick? And is that, that, is that the wrong thing to do from a business standpoint? And yeah, I don't really know the answer to that, but I, th but I, ha I have both of those traits of thought simultaneously. So it would just be, it can be tough to know what's the right thing from that standpoint. 
it's certainly more difficult to establish a brand. Right. But yeah. then but then you also are not going to be fighting that brand when you do want to experiment in the future. So, yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's a really from a career standpoint it's really something. I mean, I feel like literary authors, the successful ones out there um they tend to do this where they jump a lot between genres and there's certainly like super successful authors of the past like Jane Yolen who did children's books, middle grade, young adult, adult like super thought provoking sci-fi, you know, cultural sci-fi kind of, you know, philosophical pieces almost and like she had a, a but that was that was many many years ago, but she had, I mean and, and there are other authors like Tanya Hoff who write um, multiple different subgenres of sci-fi fantasy in completely different voices to the point where you, she has fans of one series, but none of her other series is yeah. right. be one of those people, right? So, you know, it is possible, but I feel like we see it more in kind of mid-list authors or like workhorse authors who produce regularly, but never like to huge breakout success. Right. Um, the, uh, the ones who jump around a lot. But that's a that's can be a living. Um, I do feel like there is a like promotion wise and stuff. There's a constant like restart of you know trying to yeah. find the right market. Mm-hmm. But to uh, but yeah no that's all. Uh, but to bring it back around to where we started. So what do you do when the thing doesn't sell? Because that's what we started to talk about. Right. Yes. But we're kind of yeah. diverging the tracks here. So the thing didn't sell. What's next? Well, this is in my case, it's pretty easy because if I don't want to write it, I don't bother to write it Um, (laughs) because there's something else I can write that probably will sell. But also, if I do want to write it, I can go indie. So, you know, like um, and I'm going to bring this up because I think it's kind of an interesting case, which is I'm currently writing a couple of YAs, which I'm not even bothering to pitch. So because I I pitched out that series that they decided to not acquire my option clause has been satisfied. Mm-hmm. So I technically yeah. don't have to, I'm, I'm out of option, yeah. the term that I would use. And um, <laughs> which means that, that means that I can now write YA if I want to and don't have to show it to them at all. Um, and so the, the one that I pitched that they turned down, I wrote, but in a completely different way. I wrote it kind of more sci-fi-ish and sci-fi is not selling right now. So I didn't even pitch at sci-fi level because I figured no way else would want it. Um, so I wrote it in a different universe. And then I, I've recently been inspired to write an, a series. And I didn't, even though I think it could be quite commercially successful, I've decided just to write it all myself um, so that I could release it independently relatively quickly. It's a three-book series. Right. Um, and I will also probably give it to my agent and have her just take a look at it completely written. And that's because I felt inspired to just write the whole thing. And I just didn't want to like suffer through the pro- pro- proposal experience to have like a, a traditional publisher tell yeah. me that they didn't want it or didn't think it. I was like, no, I'm, I'm inspired. I'm just going to write the whole thing right now. Um, and then we'll present it to them as a completed three book series and see if they're if they're even even interested in it or not, because knowing that it's completed, it's already done, and then I can do whatever I want with it if they don't want it. Right. So uh, th- there's some some worry in the chat and in my own heart. Sci-fi doesn't sell right now. I, 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 in, y- in YA, that's oh, the bell girl. Okay. Okay. 
Sorry, NYA. Yeah, not an adult. NYA. Uh, okay, good. You scared the hell out of me. Sorry, <laughs> I'm just sorry, like, sorry. Okay, my book's coming sorry, out. Sorry, sorry, sorry. In eleven yeah, months or there hasn't been no, any breakout YA in the sci-fi arena since yeah, the dystopian. Yeah, you're right. Uh, you know. Fervor. Yeah, except for dystopian. Yeah. 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 Um, and that seems to have died down. So. Yeah. So uh, Primi uh, Muhammad is in chat saying, um, <laughs> talking about, uh, well, first that we were calling her out with the, I'm finishing my book, leave me alone. Um, <laughs> yeah. We're, then, we're both on deadline right now, actually, for novels. We have like the same deadline for our new novel. So yeah. we've been agonizing, agonizing to each other regularly every day. <laughs> and Under Pope says, uh, Creamy will always be known as the cosmic horror author and never be able to break into Regency romance. <laughs> Creamy says, no, my Regency romance. But uh, previous had people comment on some of her books this year with, oh, this isn't cosmic horror. And uh, she's got two non-cosmic horrors coming out this year. Uh, Premi, you want to give us some titles? So we can chill for you. Yeah. Except for, uh, what, except, sorry, we were, there's a little bit of lag under Pope. What's uh, Charlie Jane Anders referring to? I assume SF isn't selling in YA. Oh, yeah, there are always. That's right, she did a YA sci-fi, didn't she? It's had a person with very purple hair on the front. There are always exceptions. Yeah. Um, but uh, I I um, should also say that my definition of success is a lot of money from the sales of the book, not necessarily critical acclaim. Everyone's um, got so, their own definition. Yeah. Yeah, that's a whole other that's a whole other topic for a whole other show, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I should have said that 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 for for me, um, I mean, critical acclaim is nice, but uh, I I I need to make a, a living that supports a lifestyle in California off of my book. Oh my! So, <laughs> Felt that in my undercarriage. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I think about that a lot, too, because, you know, my husband's been d- done so much to support my writing career. I would love for it to pay off and give him some, you know, time to focus on something other than a day job. So just waiting for those all those movie options to, to, to come in. And, uh, oh, and, yeah, they're yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. Well, the options are fine. Just, you know. <gasps> Anyway, Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, that's Matt, another topic. I, I know. How you do it. <laughs> uh, Premi says, and what can we offer you tonight? Is with Neon Hemlock, and the annual migration of clouds is September twenty eighth with ECW Press. Both non cosmic horror. Thank you, Premi. And I've well, read. Uh, I've read. And what can we offer you tonight? It's fucking amazing. Well, Premi's that fucking is amazing. It. Yeah, that is an, But that is another like thing to consider if you are an author like Matt, who is basically on a on a reboot schedule or trying different, um, you know, throwing the spaghetti at the wall, trying different genres. Or if that's how you want your career to go, you can up to end up with a situation where you're like multiple promoing different books in different genres that have all coming out around the same time or different projects. You know, diversification is a lot of fun and it is kind of smart in terms of assets. And you know, these are assets at the end that are going to bring in money we hope we um, but you can also end up with a situation like I, i'm in this situation right now where i'm promoting both a like a special hardcover edition and a new digital release and those are pretty much like different market shares it's fortunately it's the same universe but um that's a lot of promo to have to like suddenly come down the the bandwidth and like try and balance and stuff like that too so it is and that's yeah that's that's a really hard thing like when you because like, like you know we're talking about you know i've got an adult fantasy series going at the same time that i'm trying to promote this really grounded middle grade book and they couldn't be farther apart in audience and market and tone and everything and i've only got 
so many channels, you know, really got, so you got to decide what am I gearing my channel to promote right now? Like to, you know, how am I, how am I keeping those audiences balanced? It's a lot. It can be a lot to really juggle and get your head around. Well, you know, it's interesting. We talk about that with Ursula Vernon, who, you know, when she sold her first book, that's right. Ursula was, does this. Yeah. Ursula does this when she, I, I remember cause it happened in my house. I was, got big hangover the next day out of a sheer jealousy <laughs> when she got her first offer she's just like oh i'm gonna write a big offer for children's books okay sure and then dragon breath came out by ursula vernon and then when she started to sell adult stuff she realized that people who might find her horror books will just see ursula vernon and think oh my kid who loved dragon breath will love this and that even though it says the hollow places and has a really scary cover um so she's, you know, goes by Tink Kingfisher, and this is not like a super secret pen name. This is like completely for people who run across it online or in a bookstore kind of thing. But she does have the two personas, and um, yeah, yeah, I, I was gonna ask. I was gonna wonder if she she did a lot like worried about promoting both of them, but she just kind of Ursula just kind of exists, and and yeah, word Ursula gets is out. Ursula singular. About, yeah, it's a singular yeah, example. You can't do what Ursula does. No one yeah. can do what Ursula does. Yeah. Whose phone is ringing? Mine. Sorry. Uh, we were discussing this offline, but uh, there, there, I, I'm dealing with a lot of like family hospital drama right now, and so like I oh. have to keep my phone on. I'm, I'm sorry, everybody. No, no that's I, fine. That was, I should have warned you because I am as well. And like yesterday during my stream, someone called, and I had to just mute the mic and go over there. So I should probably point out that that can happen to me. Probably will happen this week. So sorry. Anyway. But, but back on to the like. So uh, the initial question is sort of. Um, you know, so have have you two had experiences of pitching out and getting rejected? You know, kind of along in your career or anything like this is the ditch digger. So let's talk about like <laughs> how did you handle that? Like you know, business wise, what did you do? Uh, so since I since I first started, I, so I did I did two novels that didn't sell early on with a co writer. When we went through the whole submit to agent, submit to any publisher that'll take it, and then wait a year and a half to hear back and all that crap. Those are the only two novels that I, the only two things that I wrote and finished. Am I still coming through? Yeah. My screen yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Those are the only two things I wrote and finished that I didn't end up selling. And I'm very fortunate in that regard because I know. What plenty. did you do? What did you do with them? What I just, happened? I just trumped those, honestly, because okay. like they were very early. They were earlier novels. When I look back at them later, I was like, they read very much like people trying to learn how to write a novel as they write. Yeah. So they weren't things that I felt were worth revisiting or worth uh, dredging up. And I've also done, uh, you know, my own indie stuff uh, on the side, you know, from for my own gratification and just to make and just to make money. And that's gone, you know, varying levels of success. Everything that I've had rejected has always been something I've done on proposal. And sometimes those proposals were, you know, one sheet of paper. And sometimes those proposals were really elaborate. And I wrote a lot of stuff and put a really big package together and then nobody wanted it. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's not as harrowing as having a whole novel that you wrote universally rejected by publishers that you're trying to sell it to. But it's still not fun. Yeah. I do think it's a, it's a little easier to bounce back because you're still in that phase of like, okay, you pitched us this. We didn't like it, but hey, maybe we like you. What else have you got? And you can go to something else. Yeah. It's a lot harder to pivot when it's a whole book. So I haven't had, I have not had the experience of taking out an entire book that I have written myself and having that rejected by everybody like my agent took it to. 
Well, I've had an interesting situation where there were two ideas in my head that really kind of took root and stayed with me over the last 10 years, and I couldn't for the life of me sell it. It's like, I think I think the first dark fantasy one, uh, Jen, my previous agent, was not just not that into it, or I just felt I didn't establish it enough. And then the second one, um, I worked with her for six months to get the proposal together, and it didn't sell. And just like Matt said, I was very lucky in that a couple of people came back and said, but what else you got? And so then I pitched the book that's coming out next October called Station Eternity. Um, <laughs> thank you, guys. <laughs> we didn't even plan that. That was cool. Um, so, uh, but one thing that's really cool that happened is over like the past two years or a year and a half or something, I've had I've had opportunities to pitch those two plots as different media. So right. uh, I six to start the company that does the Zombies Run app are looking for new adventures that not, aren't necessarily about zombies. It can be about anything. They've got historical stories. They got fantasy. They got science fiction. They got romance. They got trans romance. They've got, I mean, they, they're just like, doing all sorts of really amazing shit. And so I pitched my dark fantasy that never went anywhere. I figured I could tell that story because it, it involves like running through a city and running through dark ossuaries full of ghosts and, so I just pitched it as that and sold it. So I was, you know, it's not, it, it certainly wasn't novel money, but um, I was just thrilled. Godmaker started to come out four weeks ago. It's told in five parts. And um, you gotta, it's like, yeah, you gotta download the Zombies Run app and you gotta pay for at least one month of VIP to get the whole story. So I know I'm already like reducing the audience to runners who will like dark fantasy. So I know it's not going to hit a huge number of people, but I'm still really proud of what I did. And I was really glad I got the story out in some way. And uh, the other one, um, I was asked to, pitch, asked to pitch a novella to Audible. And so I pitched the other one that didn't go anywhere. And they took it as a novella. So um, we're, we're, I'm working on the final edits to that. So uh, I was I was very lucky to have opportunities. So I think doing it yourself is an option. I, I, I'm hoping we have enough time for me to ask Gail a, a quick question. But um, also, there's so many opportunities right now to put your work out in a different way. And you just got to be open to who is paying writers. Yeah, the flexibility. This is the flexibility and diversity. Yeah. So, like, this is the idea that if you have a career path where you do write multiple different genres, multiple different ages, you can also think in terms of multiple different platforms and like different kinds of adaptations. You know, scripting for animation, scripting for like, there's just so gaming, board mm -hmm. gaming. If you're like a world builder, you know, there, there's just so like if what that needling project in the back of your head is more like world building, then there's gaming. If it's more plot driven, then there's like video or, you know, like or video games or mm -hmm. like there's just a lot. There's full cast audio. There's a lot of things you can do with projects now. If if you are just inspired by the baby project and you want to see it come to some kind of fruition, right. um, thinking outside the box in term of, terms of like doesn't have to be a novel is definitely like, I mean, there's there's. Vela, there's serial radish, there's serialization options. There's just so much going on right now. There really are a lot of a lot of opportunities. You can go back to that absolutely new thing, podcast fiction. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's invented every year. It is. It really is. Um, so I, I 
I only want you to answer this if you think you can summarize, uh, Gail. And if not, we'll have to be happy to bring you back. But I Anytime. know that you have a kind of, uh, you already have your indie machine going. Can you make a, Can you give me a list of as many people as you have involved in helping you self-publish a book? Oh, if it's not a quick list, we can talk about it later. No, 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 no. But but we should definitely have a conversation about like the hybrid side at some point, because I know you guys mostly go traditional or you tend to work with a producer of some kind, for lack of a better term, whether that's a publisher or what have you. Um, And I'm pretty solidly mostly indie now these days. But so, yeah, I have a team. But this is because my personality is such that, like, if I can't learn how to do it well, I would rather find and hire somebody else who can do it well. Mm -hmm. So, uh, for example, I outsource cover art design. So that that's one person. And I have a developmental editor I still work with. Some indie authors don't work with dev editors. I like them. I like being edited. I like the editing process. So I have a dev editor. That's expensive. Um, and then I have a copy editor who does my line edits for me. And then I used to also have a proof editor, but I uh, now crowdsource that. I have a, a tiny little beta reader team of super fans that are, I'm, and that is because I used to have a formatter who did all the layout for me, but I've learned how to do that myself. So that part of the process has become time-wise much, much shorter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have the flexibility to get a project basically formatted completely out to beta readers, and then I can I can fix it myself quickly. So you know, my team is f- I would say five to ten people, depending on the book and the process and what's going on. So it's a little bit like a publishing house team, you know. Like I have somebody who's maybe acting the part of the publicist, acting the part of the publisher, just in an indie perspective on it. I like a team. I like working with multiple people, but it is it is managing multiple contract workers essentially. Yeah. Um, and these are all people who I pay rather than in the traditional publishing model, which is when I have been paid. So right. Um, so the power dynamic is slightly different. You know, like I have to wait in line to get my dev edits. I'm waiting right now. Um, but you know, I had to wait to get edits back from my editor. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, I have a team basically do you have like satin jackets and a team name because you well, should I, I mean but, but the same thing the same thing can happen right like the same situation where i can get orphaned they can retire they can yeah. you know m- move on to another thing like my 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 um my sainted cover art designer has left me and so oh, I'm, I'm like, no I have to find a new cover art designer. Fortunately, it's right when I'm switching to YA and science fiction and stuff. So I'm like, eh, eh, maybe it was time for a rebrand anyway. You know, I'm learning in this business that you take every setback as a pivot opportunity yeah. to try well something said. new. <laughs> well said. Very well said. Very yeah. good. Very good lesson. Exactly. Well, I unfortunately uh, have to break out of the stream now because I have to go do video game things because yeah. I'm technically working right now. Don't Don't tell them. Okay, we won't. <laughs> I'm here on a live stream. It's right. just us and all the people watching who know this. Yeah. It's a secret. Yes. But uh, I feel like, Gail, you're going to have to come back because there's more to mine here. I feel like we, we just scratched this. Not, not just scratch. Maybe we, we dug a little hole, but we can get so much deeper into this. <laughs> and also, I just enjoy having you on and getting to talk to you because I never get to talk to you. And, yes. And I, I don't think I've, I, I, I'm not even sure if we've talked since Ireland. Have we? That's like two I, years. It has been a while, yeah. It yeah, while. yeah. We ended up going to the the, diff, the same like tourist spots after WorldCon, so we 
hung out together a little bit. That was fun. But anyway, so uh, Matt, tell us where you can find you online. I'm on the Twitters at uh, Matt F. and Wallace, and uh, you can go to my website, matt-wallace.com. And those are the two main places. And again, the uh, the Supervillains Guide to Being a Fat Kid, January uh, next year. Very important to me. Please go pre-order. Pre-orders are even more important than they usually are. And they are usually really freaking important. Yeah. So that's that's a huge amount of importance. Yeah. And, th- and thank you to everybody for all of that. Yeah, those uh, that pre-order will be on uh, my site at merverse.com. Any Ditch Diggers post, I'm going to be putting um, our last two books up there. I'm trying to be more responsible with the postings. Um, yeah, so Gail, how, how can we find you and all of your awesome stuff? Uh, ScaleCarriger.com, G-A-I-L-C-A-R-R-I-G-E-R. But, you know, I'm pretty good on my SEO, so. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> search it. But yeah, the, the, in my case, you want the website. Uh, I've been pulling back from social media a lot recently. I'm still there, but yeah, uh, yeah the, the website will point you at whatever social media you want to follow me on it also explains how i behave on the different social medias but um yeah that's yeah. it'll have everything and uh what should i shell i should shell heroine's journey this is a oh yeah um book that i have i we would had show you, you on cover, a but i'm not ago. that prepared <laughs> we had you on a little while ago talking about that so if you want to look into our archives uh we had gail on doing that yeah uh, under it's posts fun. it's go ahead great uh, no, I mean it's 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 still selling and doing great, and people love it. And maybe someday Ditch Digger should co- talk about fiction writers writing nonfiction because that's yeah. a whole other ball game. <laughs> yeah, uh, Matt Underpope says I mashed that pre-order button so hard my cursor broke. Thank oh. you, Underpope. <laughs> and we need uh, mil- a million more people just like you, yes. exactly like you. Exactly. All right, and you can find me merverse.com, mightymer at gmail.com, and on Twitch, it's twitch.tv slash mightymer. We would normally be back next week, but I'm taking the week off. So two weeks from now, on Wednesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Matt and I will be back with another thing to loudly swear about in publishing. And uh, thank you so much, Gail. We'd love to have you back. Thank you, Probably Gail. Probably pretty soon, guys. Yeah, and, and honestly, you know, now that I know there's a regular time slot, just hit me up anytime you need me. Yep, I'm going to put all my socials in the chat, but um, we are winding down. I'm going to look for somebody to raid. Matt, if y'all got to go, that's cool. Don't feel a need to stay. I will uh, tip on out stealthily, yeah. but thank you, Gail. Thank you, Murray. Thank you, everybody in the chat. It was nice seeing you guys, even if only virtually. <laughs> I know. Someday. Someday we will have someday. wine together again. Uh-oh. Oh, my goodness. There will be drinking. Matt has gone. Am I still around? Yes, you are, but it's completely screwed up my uh, video. So we've got one of your eyes in one of the videos and one of your eyes in the other one. So it's pretty interesting, actually. Oh, I'm I'm a zombie. Uh, Well, I'm in a jet as well. Okay. It was it was awesome um, being on. Thank you for letting me uh, squeaky wheel at you to come on and talk about this. And uh, we'll do it again sometime. Excellent. Thank you, Gail. Take care. Bye, everybody. And I don't know anybody who's uh, streaming right now, so I guess I will just go ahead and sign off. Um, Again, I will be back tomorrow afternoon, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, with another episode of I Should Be Writing. And then, as I mentioned, last couple of weeks have been really stressful, and I just need a little bit of time off. And um, yesterday I thought I needed needed to take a break from work so I could work, and that realized that didn't make any sense, and I realized what I needed to do was be away from the streaming and the production part of my uh, requirements. So just taking a little break to catch up on some other work, and then I'll be back the next week. But I'm still here tomorrow, 2 o'clock. 
So uh, y'all take care. Be good. Wear your mask. And uh, thank you, Preemie. I am. I, I, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying really hard. I promise. But uh, I, I'm sorry I didn't greet everybody in the chat. That's the problem with numerous, uh, numerous guests. But I did see everybody quote uh, texting and, and talking, and I appreciate it. So y'all take care, and I'll see you tomorrow. You can support us at patreon.com slash mightymurr. Ditch Diggers! Theme song by Devo Spice, devospice.com.